Welcome back to Quiero, a show about Latinx who want it all. I am your host, Priscilla garcia Jacquet, and this is the podcast version of our web series. For the full experience of Quiero, please head on over to youtube.com slash Quiero the show. Thank you so much for stopping by. Your support means everything to us. So before we go on, make sure that you rate us on iTunes and leave a comment. All right, let's get into this week's episode. don't act sexy, like be sexy. And I'm like, I don't have to be anything. Mm. I am innately sexy. Mm. I am innately, unapologetically and confidently a Hispanic woman, regardless of anything else that I do. Welcome to Quiero, a show about Latinx who want it all. I'm your host, Priscilla Garcia Jacquet. Our guest today is Michelle Ventimilla. Michelle is a stage and television actress who starred alongside Cheetah Rivera in the Tony-nominated musical The Visit, played Firefly on Gotham, and is now a series regular in Seven Seconds on Netflix. Um, you're Ecuadorian. First generation. My dad immigrated here at 15 years old, and then my mom actually did like a study abroad thing in the U.S. They met in high school in the Bronx, mm-hmm. and were high school sweethearts, and they were gonna get like they wanted to get married. But my mom ended up going back to Ecuador and my before she left, I think my dad was like, I want you to come back and like marry me and like we'll do this at like 18 years old. Like they had just graduated college, I mean um, high school. And she was like, okay, but I need to go home. I haven't seen my family in four years and I need to. And she had a really rough time here. But she went back to Ecuador and 16 years went by and my mom like married someone in Ecuador. I had my three older brothers. She came over back to the US like on vacation. She was in the middle of a divorce mm-hmm. and her siblings were like planning a vacation to New mm-hmm. York and they were like, come to New York. Like we'll, we'll have a good time. Like leave the boys with mom. And they were in Queens and my- Oh my God, vacation in Queens. I know, <laughs> they were in Queens staying somewhere, I don't know. And my mom was like, wait, do you know whose birthday it is? It's Jose's birthday. And she just like thought of him on the day. And they went in the phone book and like looked for like Ventimia. And my dad has six brothers, so there are seven Ventimias in the phone book. She ended up calling my uncle who lived in the same building as my dad and went to go like fetch him like two floors up and my mom was on the phone like shaking because my aunt picked up and she was like that's his wife i'm like fucking everything i'm sorry i'm not supposed to swear i don't know if I'm no, you can. To... oh i can't yeah it's really um, <laughs> <laughs> and and then they like reconnected that night they were like in the same town and then there was like this whole epic story of like trying to get the boys to come with her because there was like a custody situation but ultimately they ended up in New York. She married my dad, and two years later, I was born. And I know that your dad got you into a lot of things, and eventually you find your way to the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you dream about when you were a little kid? Something that my dad had a very keen interest in, for as long as I can remember, is that he was very passionate about storytelling. He was very passionate about like telling my grandfather's story and my grandmother's story and like what it took to like bring a con- like a family over here from Ecuador and like always took us to the movies and was always so intrigued by theater and I think I might have been like I was six or seven and he put me in this like theater 
this community theater production of Mary Poppins or something, and I played like a doll that like fell <laughs> off the bed, <laughs> and that's like all I did. But I was very committed to dance, and I was a competitive dancer, so oh that my took God. up oh my all God. my time. Oh my God. Yeah, I spent all my time. I slept on average like five, like three to five hours a night because I would rehearse all day, do homework until three in the morning, wake up at six, go to school, and then take a 30-minute nap after school and then go to dance. But I broke my foot. I couldn't dance anymore. I started taking acting classes more, and that's where I had this incredible teacher who taught me the power of storytelling. And I already knew it innately because of my mom and dad, but she was the one that like broke it down and made it accessible to me and told me that I, I could do it and believed in me. And so, How did she do that? Just by telling me that I could do it, that anybody could do it. She taught me the the power of listening. You know, acting is just listening and reacting. And if you do that day to day with anyone that you meet, that's how you live the most authentic life you can live, just by listening to people and reacting earnestly. There's a very profound intimacy in that. And people are often put off by that when I'm like, yeah. tell me more. No, <laughs> and it can be intimidating, but I try not to be intimidating. And when you started auditioning for schools, mm -hmm. like, did you, did you and your gut believe that like that could happen for you? Like, I can go to Carnegie Mellon, I can go to Juilliard? No, no. no I didn't. Um, I auditioned for, I want to say like seven conservatory schools, but I also applied to like 10 liberal arts schools. I think because my parents came from Ecuador and there's such a like grandeur to that story mm -hmm. of like being an outsider, the idea of like leaving Long Island and going to school and meeting different people. I had a keen sense of what that actually means and I knew that I was gonna be a very small fish in a big pond and I didn't know if I had the tools to, to hold up. Mm. And so I applied to just like regular schools. <laughs> I thought about being an engineer and because I was really good at math and I worked my ass off in high school and graduated top of my class and that was a possibility for me, you know, not being an actress and I was okay mm. with that. But um, I remember when I was, I didn't understand like what exactly it meant to be a Latina until I was applying for college. Mm. Like, why? I remember a friend of mine was like, oh, well, you only got into that school because you're Latina or you're Hispanic. And I was like, and that was the first time I was like, fuck, what, bitch? I worked my ass off. I worked my ass off. My parents have worked their ass off their entire life so that I could get into this school. And that really affected me. And that was the first time that I was like, okay, like this means more than I think it does. Mm, it's so hard. I, 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 re I had the same experience. I, I didn't know that I was, somehow I, I knew that I was an immigrant. I knew that I was Hispanic. I knew that that was, that was just my story. I didn't know that it belonged. To in, anyone else. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't know that it belonged to stereotype. Mm -hmm. I had no I idea. I didn't either. My parents didn't raise me that way either. They never, I didn't grow up in a household that was like, you can't do this or you can't do that. They always instilled in me that I could do everything. But I didn't realize until later that maybe because we are Hispanic that they had to dr like drill that into me very early on. And then I went to school, we went to college, and that's like a whole other thing. Like all of a sudden, like I am like, you are the, the token yes. Latina. And I had to learn all about 
stereotype in school, I think. And yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So Does I, that affect your self-confidence at all? Does that affect... How does that sit It in? does because it feels like I have to live up to this idea of what a Latina woman is. And I don't always live up to that. Like all of a sudden I had to learn to be sexy. I had to learn to drop my voice and be sensual. I had to learn to like do all these things that weren't innately me. Mm -hmm. But I had to learn to do in order to work in the industry, or at least that's what I was told. I was yeah. told that if you want to work as a Latina woman, you have to be X, Y, and Z, and you have to look like this, and you have to dress like this, and you have to wear makeup, and you have to wear lipstick, and you have to wear your hair like this. And How do you keep your sense of self when that's happening? You don't. Mm. Then that's why you lose yourself a little bit while you're at school. And only recently, like close to four years out of school, am I like, oh, that's not what this is about at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've really had to take a very close look at myself and try to find 12-year-old Michelle who just liked dancing and liked being goofy and like didn't care what she was wearing. And that's what's gotten, when I started to think that way, that's what started to get me work. Because I, I was being authentic with myself. Yeah. And when you're authentic with yourself, you're authentic with like uh, being a representation of of being a Latina woman. First job out of school was on Broadway. <laughs> no, Isn't was that? it? I think so. Well, I went to the Williamstown Theater Festival as a non-net company member. Incredible. I had to like pay to go. Incredible. And I remember my parents were like, why are you gonna pay money to spend a summer in Cowtown? <laughs> Who knows what's up there? <laughs> I was like, actually it's the Williamstown Theater Festival and I love it and I like wanna do it. <laughs> And some of the teachers told me not to go either. They were like, well, maybe you shouldn't do that. Like, who knows what that's going to be. But I was like... My gut is telling me to my go. My gut is telling me yeah. that I need to go do theater for a summer mm -hmm. and play camp. And it was mm -hmm. the most rewarding experience. And I just happened to be a part of a show that transferred to Broadway and gave me my Broadway debut. What is that like? A dream come yeah. true. Yeah to play young Cheetah Rivera on stage. Mm -hmm. Do you have a moment, because I, I, I was talking to Moises about like the ability to be present in the moment when you're realizing like, oh my God, this is happening, this is happening. Luckily, I think we were. The thing about The Visit, which was the show that I did, is that it was me, the young guy I was playing opposite of, and then another character who played like a young adult in the play. And we were like the three Broadway babies and we were making our Broadway debuts and we were like, under 30 everyone so else special. was over 50 yeah. yeah and like we're broadway veterans so like at every turn like, we were like icons, oh my. icons. Yeah. yeah we were like oh my god <laughs> we're like singing through the music now and like oh my god it's the dress rehearsal oh my god we're in the theater and meanwhile everyone else was like all right like let's the show <laughs> on the road you know <laughs> so luckily they were able to ground us mm -hmm. in those experiences that like yes like this is so exciting and we want this to be exciting for you but it's also like a job mm -hmm. and like you need to do your job <laughs> like and this is how i support my family yeah and, exactly yeah. yeah we had a very very short little run and mm -hmm. we all knew it it's not a spectacle it's like a very quiet bizarre weird niche <laughs> show and we all knew that and loved it and ran with it and like got to experience it for what it was which was like a dream of like collaborating a big lesson for the past two years is that i need to trust the people who i'm with like i i'm pretty confident right mm. and sometimes 
the way that I exude a lack of confidence is by overconfidence, you know, like it just, that's, that's kind of the MO. And lately I've been, whenever I doubt my position in a room, I, I kind of have to then trust the people in the room. Like maybe him who knows exactly what he's doing wouldn't have me here if I wasn't like yeah. meant to be here. I actually had like the reverse experience where like mm. I put all my faith in the people that are working with me and working for me that I like lost touch with like my own worth. Mm. You know, I was only validated by everyone else's opinion of mm. me and I didn't have an opinion for myself. And like I gave myself, my narrative was just like sound bites of what everyone else thought of me. And I came to a point where I was like, I don't like that. And I don't want to just be like auditioning for this because it's like the right thing to do at this point in your career. And like, I don't want to wear this dress because it's going to like upset my abuelita if I don't, you know, <laughs> like I want to do things for me mm-hmm. and I want to have initiative over my own life and my own career. And that's the only way that your life is going to be fruitful if you're like honest with yourself. And I wasn't for a very long time. I depended on the validation of other people for a very long time. And I'm starting to like break out of that mold. Let's talk about like the four years before now. Well, you're just like wired a little differently at the onset. You know, you, you really just like, I think in any career, any career path, you just need to grab whatever you can. You know, you're hunting and gathering and like, making a toolbox Mm -hmm. but I didn't play like a Latina written role until last year Mm -hmm. and even then it was a very bizarre experience (laughs) like all of a sudden I was like seducing someone with like a piece of steak and like wearing ridiculous costumes and like needed to like be this idea of what these like white men thought a Latina woman was and it was so weird and uncomfortable I think for everyone Mm -hmm. I needed to feed myself I needed to help my family so that came into the equation when like choosing what jobs I needed to take were they always necessarily things that I believed in and like wanted to do not necessarily but there is a component of like you need to survive and feed yourself and you're not always going to tell the stories that you want to be telling Mm -hmm. so but I feel like I made those investments and I paid those dues and hopefully. And that wasn't forward. important to you just yet, right? Like that that's become more more and more important in your life to be like, I'm focused on telling these other kinds of stories. Now. Yeah. It's something that I like meditate over every day, like wanting to do something and that's half the battle. It's so cliche, but it is like imagining something you will you are prophesizing it. Yeah. Like 2 years ago, I it was crazy for me to be a series regular on a show it was crazy because all I was auditioning was like guest stars and recurring guest stars and I wasn't auditioning for a lot of series regulars but I just like said it every day I was like I will be a series regular I will be a series regular I want to be a series regular I want to be a series regular and it happened it happened in a year's time and that blows my mind and it's so cool but it's also like very scary because what do you mean because it works the other way too. Yeah. Like any self-deprecating thing you say about yourself, any if you minimize yourself, if you diminish yourself, you actually are. So seven seconds comes along. And do you feel like that's a part of that mission of being more yourself? I think so. Like did it I come at the so. right timing? It did. I it came at a time where 
like a lot of a lot of actors talk about how like I'm not gonna go on this audition because I just don't want to or I don't think it's like a project I want to do and at the onset like I didn't feel like I had that luxury and I just like auditioned for everything and that kind of like paid my dues later because I was able to like develop this relationship with the, with casting directors and they were able to get to know me and they were like oh actually you're not that you're not what like you think like I walk into a room and it's like va va boom she has a booty and like she is like something is going on like she's like a gypsy exotic <laughs> situation right because that's just like what you get but actually I walk into a room and I'm like hi and they're like oh that's not it's not what we thought we were it's not what we thought we were gonna get um I like I think that's kind of funny, but eventually people were able to see me for who I really was. And actually, like, I have, like, a pretty quiet, there's, like, a quiet intimacy about me that this character on 7 Seconds has. And she's not, you know, I, for some reason, ended up, like, on a lot of comic book shows and playing, playing these, like, <laughs> very big characters. It's your butt. <laughs> it's, it's my butt. Um... And then finally the show came along where I kind of like fit the maternal vibe of it and I was able to do it and it was really I'm, I love to hear that you are becoming more comfortable with that like quiet intimacy. I think that's a really beautiful way to put it. You know, for when I was growing up, curves were acceptable, but a certain kind of curve, right? Mm. So it's like it's like really chiseled here, it's really big here, it's really big here, everything else doesn't exist. And the hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Always in a V at the back and like curled at the bottom. You know what I mean? Um I still have that. <laughs> you're like, and I'm wearing it right now. Um <laughs> No, but I remember that that's like a question of worth. Like that was really that really fucked me up growing up because I was like, oh, so I I'm not that and thus I am I have no worth. Like then I am not worthy. And I remember I spent a summer in Paris. This sounds like so bougie. I'm half French, so it's, it made okay. sense. I was going home. And I remember I had spent the summer in France that was like surprisingly liberating. I don't think of France as like a very liberating place, but I, it was surprisingly liberating in that I, so my first summer kind of like living by myself and like a woman in the city, like people saw me as a woman. And so I was for the first time kind of feeling that self and learning how to walk in this body with worth. Not like strength, not confidence, but worth. Like knowing that like this is worthy of anything I want it to be was a really big lesson. And and then I learned in that I, I softened because I wasn't trying to be like, you know, I'm like naturally intimidating. I naturally hold a lot of space. Yeah. So, but learning the softer part of myself, it's like, yeah. oh my God, I'm a full human. Yeah, it's like talking, what we were talking about before, like tuning into like the child in you. Yeah. I grew up very fast because I matured at nine and then at 12, I looked like I was 20. Yeah. Like people would be like, so like, where'd you go to school? I'm like, I go to Southern Middle School. <laughs> They're like, ah, no, really. Like, really like what's your oh story? And I'm like, I go to Selden Middle School. But your childhood is stripped from yeah. you like that. Because I looked older, I had to step into that role. I just had to. I had to dress a certain way and I had to act a certain way mm. and I... I couldn't behave like a 12-year-old. I wasn't really allowed to, at least yeah. at home or like meeting people. 
I had to hold myself as a woman. And then by the time I actually became a woman, I was like, I'm actually not. I'm yes. actually still 12. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or I need to, like, go back and, like, live, like, figure out what I what missed. What was, yeah. I mean, and for me, it's been, like, it's, like, my softness is in, like, crying. It's not, like, the sadness. My softness is the goofiness. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I, where I'm, like, I really need to trust you for you to see that. Like, that's, like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so it's such a goofball. Yeah. I um, love being goofy. I love being goofy. Yeah. We walked in here and I was like, oh, I'm fire. <laughs> but it's because I'm happy and yeah. like I'm doing something that I believe in. Yeah. And you will be, you will act in the bizarre ways when you're really happy. Yes, you know? it takes over. It takes over you. Yeah. And that's always like a sign. When I'm like too put together, too like whatever it is that I'm supposed to be, I'm probably not that happy. I, no, and also I don't know, and like this caricature, I, I'm the caricature. Of, yeah. I know, like I need to name her, like the alter ego that like Ugh. everyone thinks I am, but I'm actually not. Like, don't act sexy, like be sexy, and I'm like, how do you do that? I don't have to be anything. Mm. I am innately sexy. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. My butt is huge. <laughs> I don't need to act or be sexy. I just am innately sexy. Mm-hmm. I am innately, unapologetically and confidently a Hispanic woman, regardless of anything else that I do. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter. I don't have to be or act any way. I just mm-hmm. have to be myself. And by the way, I'm Latina, <laughs> you know? So. What are the conversations that you're having now with your reps? Like, you're more in yourself. Mm-hmm. You feel more yourself than you have in a long time. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for the work that you want to approach next? And um, I'm saying no more. Mm. No, no, no. Good. <laughs> saying no is a good thing. It's a full, no, as as Shonda Rhyme says, no is a complete sentence. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yeah. No. It, it's come with um, a few, like, mm, disagreements because for a while I was just like nodding my head and like yes 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 like I'll do whatever you say or like even being on set in seven seconds it was the first time I was in a position like that but I felt very small and I was like I will stand where you tell me to and I will say the lines and I will just do what I'm told and now and now I'm like actually there are some conversations I probably could have had on set that probably would have made everybody's day go smoother. Oh, and I just didn't have the, the Can you balls give us an example to... of that? It's funny, like on TV, you don't often, and not to diminish like TV directors, but because you're on a timeline mm-hmm. and because there's like a very specific budget, there isn't always time for the actor to like Mm -hmm. give them direction. Mm -hmm. So I felt like kind of like in the wind a lot of the time. I was like, what's going on? (laughs) Like, you know, I just like, in drama school we spent four weeks on like a two page scene. Also theater is different, right? And theater is different. And after we wrapped, I was like, I just want to be in rehearsal. I want to like talk to somebody about what we're doing and like (laughs) know what I'm doing and know what's going on and I just didn't. But, you know, I I bet if I had spoken up and been like, actually, can we talk about the scene and, like, what, what, what what's happening? 
it probably would have gone smoother. It probably could have happened in three takes and like seven, <laughs> you yeah, know, and would have too. saved us a lot of time and money if I had just spoken up. So I'm starting to speak up more. I'm starting to say like, actually, no, I am not the vessel for that. Mm. <laughs> or actually, well, you might not think I'm the vessel for this, but actually there is a part of me that could bring itself to this role and it goes both ways. So I'm just speaking up for myself a little bit more. And, and speaking up for myself lately has been that is like being willing to ask a question, like not assume so much or not try mm-hmm. to get to the point where you know everything that yeah. maybe part of learning is that just like you get to ask and reveal yourself in the question. Yeah. like Or just realizing that everyone is human. Mm-hmm. I often like, like, glorify people and actually they're just human beings who are also coping with whatever it is that they're coping with Mm -hmm. we're all like in a constant state of coping (laughs) (laughs) and that's why we behave the way that we do on an at any given moment yeah like I'm really hungry right now so I'm like oh god I don't want my stomach to growl we're coping but (laughs) but um in having those, asserting yourself and having those conversations, it's going to come with an inevitable discomfort. And I've been learning to lean into the discomfort because mm-hmm. I like being comfor- like comfortable. I like being coddled. I like being told that I'm great. And I have been really trying to exercise not leaning on that all the time and just being uncomfortable, having the conversations that are going to be awkward. Yeah. But you have them and then you get over it and you move forward and it's yeah. like your life is so much fruitful for it because yeah. you're not hiding behind anything. Yeah. What's been the hardest part? The hardest part? Yeah. Um showing up. Showing up. Showing up is the hardest part. What do you mean by showing up? Cuz you can be prepared and you can have all the support in the world, but you have to show up for yourself and that's the hardest part. Because no one's going to do it for you. No one's going to get you out of bed. No one's going to force you to do anything, especially as an adult. You know, as a child or in growing up, I loved being on a schedule. I loved knowing exactly where I needed to be and, like, being told what to do. And the older you get, the more, like, that's in your hands. Like, you need to make your own schedule. No one has time for you. You need to, like, hold yourself accountable. And there is power in that, but it's really hard to do. It's really hard for me to do. I often run away to Long Island when I get uncomfortable, mm. when I get scared of something. I run to the things that make me feel comfortable. And the hardest part is showing up for yourself and believing in yourself. It's so cliche, but you have to, like, um, trick yourself into believing in yourself. <laughs> also that you don't have to believe in yourself to show up, right? Like right. That, that's yes, been a true. huge learning a lesson point. for me, too, mm-hmm. and being like, Oh, yeah, I don't have to have it all together in order to show up. Mm-hmm. I can, like, that happens to me in the writer's room a lot. Like, I'm always like, I need to learn how to write a full-length feature yes. before I'm in this room. And it's like, no, that's what the room is for. Like, right. get over yourself. Mm-hmm. Just show up. Yeah. Show and up with like, your gross Give an pages. Emmy-worthy performance right now. Yeah. But the reality is no. Yeah. And that's what I'm taking seven seconds for. Like, I'm, like, learning so much watching it back. It's like, oh, that's what I was going through that day, and that's how it's manifesting, and learning all those lessons, I wasn't going to give an Emmy-worthy performance on, like, my first big job. I'm just not. But I showed up, and it was hard to show up to that show. I got very sick. Like, the stress. I'm someone where, like, my stress manifests in my body, and I immediately get very ill, and I was very ill throughout that show, and I wanted to give up. But 
I learned that like but I you can't. Show up. But you show up and you go and be generous, but be generous with like people, but also be generous with yourself. I like always tackle that. Like I want to spend time with like everyone and like give so much of myself to everyone, but then I'm left with nothing for myself, and then I have like the flu, and <laughs> <laughs> you can't do anything. Yeah, you need to sleep those eight hours and drink your water and and watch keeping up with the kardashians oh i want to i used to say like it's my guilty pleasure but i it's not a guilty pleasure it's just a full-on pleasure like i love i love that family mm-hmm. um what is like what's the dream right now the dream right now yeah now that you've done seven seconds now that broadway has happened now that like you know you're feeling more yourself than ever like what is the dream right now? Um, longevity is one. I dream. I like. I want to be like Meryl and just like be working into like my fifties, my sixties, my seventies. But my dream is really to. Um, I know you're ninety. It's just Rita Moreno is like ninety years old. I know. Cheetah. Yeah, man. Yeah. That woman. Like real, is real tough though. For a second. Kicking her face. <laughs> At 83, uh, or however old she is now. She was 83 when we did the visit, I think. Sorry, Cheetah. Don't mean to put you on the <laughs> She's Googleable. Like, <laughs> sorry. It's, it's up there, you know. Yeah. Um, but something that's always been really important to me is my family, and I wouldn't be anywhere without them. So I want to, as I go on in my career, like, stay grounded in the story of my family and how hard they had to work for me to be where I am today. And... That always puts everything in perspective for me. And I think about, like, the day that, like, I have a family and what that will mean for them, like, being at least half Ecuadorian. And I want them to be themselves in every way that they can, but also, like, remind them of the stories. Tell them the stories. Tell them the stories of my grandma my grandpa and, like, all the sacrifices that they had to make just to put things in perspective because it's very easy to get like caught up in everything else or like I get trolled on Instagram sometimes like one time someone was like oh like um I posted something I posted something about Harvey the hurricane and like um supporting the relief fund and someone was like, well, not everybody has daddy paying for everything and not everyone has money to give and I was like oh, they don't know my story. They don't know how hard I've worked. So those are the stories we need to tell. Not every story is of the Mexican mafia or like the Colombian drug cartel. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I have so, there's- it's You so, have your opinions. It's so charged for me because that's, that's, that has determined the story of my country. Yeah, I know, exactly. Like There's more has... to Colombia than just that. Uh, no, and it's a personal thing. That means that, like, the way that my entire story, my story, the way that my parents are viewed is determined by this thing. Mm-hmm. And when it's mishandled, when it's handled by hands who don't know that, yeah. um, when it's not made for me, when it's made for clear, like, white audiences who don't speak the language, like, it it breaks you yeah you know it breaks you and then and then maybe that's why i don't talk about the struggle as much because it's like i'm committed to show you that colombians can be politicians brain surgeons like Mm -hmm. shakira sofia vergara yes you know whatever but 
maybe it gets to maybe that's just not the holistic way to do it you are doing it girl we're chipping away at it we're chipping yeah. away at it we're rewriting the narrative and that's what it's all about All right, that was this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate, and leave us a comment. Again, for the full experience of Kyoto, make sure you head on over to youtube.com slash show. Subscribe to our channel. We thank you so much for your support and see you next week.